the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program, we're going to talk about uh, the recent traumatic events that have unfolded with and since uh, the the white terrorist who targeted and murdered Asian workers in Atlanta. And to talk about that, we, uh, we have uh, someone who is a mental health specialist and therapist um, who is um, originally from Taiwan and uh, he's also a comedian and we're going to find out how that all fits into this but uh, my guest is Ed Hill and he joins me by phone. Hi Ed, welcome to the show. Hey Tom, thanks for having me. Ed, um, how how simpatico is being a comedian and a mental health specialist? Do you also tend bar? Um, <laughs> yeah, I also, also run the postal service on my every Saturday. Um, no, I, you know, I think you know a lot of people may see the two professions as you know direct contradict to each other. Um, for myself, actually, you know, it's actually quite a nice compliment because if you really look at it in a more general um, level, you know, the comedy, I'm there talking about my story. You know, that, that, that's a time where I'm speaking about the vulnerabilities I have, um, the moments I've experienced, and it's really about me and my, um, you know, my world. Where if we shift into more, you know, the therapeutic side, it's it's about the client stories, and you know I'm I'm just a guide in the world where they're trying to navigate through and you know battle through you know during certain times. 
So it's actually quite a good compliment that, you know, I'm, I'm able to encompass both sides, being able to listen to people's stories and tell my own at the same time. Well, and that's why I asked if you tend to bar, because a lot of times people will go to a bartender as <laughs> for therapy. But um, the the thing that I want to talk about, and, and maybe you can cast a, a, a light on these these weird um, violent attacks on Asian Americans that have been going on in this country, mostly that come out of the the ridiculous notion that somehow China is responsible for the pandemic, and that that has uh, caused some people to think for some reason it's okay to indiscriminately attack Asian Americans. Um, what do you think is is going on there? And as someone born in Asia, what what are your thoughts when you see these these horrible news stories? Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing now in the mainstream media with this hatred towards Asian community, I wish I could say this is something new. Um, you know, I'm in Canada currently, and you know the the type of President discrimination, it's really seen North America wide. And, you know, my, I remember the first week I was here in Canada, I was told to go back to China on the playground by a fellow child. Um, and I'm not even from China. So it was, it was very <laughs> baffling. It was very confusing because I was like, you're offering me a vacation because I actually never been to China. It would be really nice. Um, and, you know, as, as recent as, you know, um, a few months ago when my cousin was elbow in the back of the head just walking downtown for no reason. It's a random attack by somebody who's full, you know, hooded, masked, and he's got elbow in the back of the head. Um, where definitely the hate crime unit is investigating, but they couldn't, you know, it's just, it's too abrupt of an attack and too surprising they couldn't find a perpetrator. Um, and, you know, this is not new. It's something that, Definitely, our communities lived through and sort of accepted um, parts of it because that's just life. It doesn't mean that we're accepting it as a way of giving up. It just means we have to see reality what it is in order to change it. Um, and as to why this is happening, you know, I, I don't, I can't speak for every person personally. Um, from doesn't matter if you're the perpetrator or the victim. What I what I can see though, in you know, the pattern towards many minorities and many um, different communities is, you know, when there's fear, um, people tend to want a solution. And that's, that's, that's understandable. You know, we don't want to feel scared. We don't want to feel uncertain. We want predictability in our lives. And, you know, sometimes the solution is more complex than the simple one. So to place hatred on a specific group is probably the simplest thing you can do. And I think that's why... Um, you know, we we have become the targets of um, you know what has transpired in the world, and I wish people would take the time to take a look at that. Every human problem is more than just a simple, straightforward one. It in what ways is the behavior that's going on now against Asian Americans similar to what happened uh, to? Uh, Middle Easterners in the U.S. Uh, and and maybe in Canada as well, following September 11th. Yeah, I think there's this notion of a dehumanization, right? It's that we are these mythical 
um, out of this world individuals who don't share the human condition that's causing these phenomena. And that's just simply not true. I mean, if you, if anyone has ever traveled to any place up outside North America or, you know, vice versa, um, you notice that we are all the same, that the human conditions is in essence in all of us. We may have different cultures, beliefs, and, you know, the way we do things, yet we're still human in the end. So, you know, I think that big part, again, you know, when fear kicks in, you, you tend to look to things you don't understand as a way to place blame. Is there um, a, a, a clinical explanation of the difference between the kind of racism we see that we've been, that you and I have just been talking about with regard to uh, uh, violence against Asian Americans, violence against Middle Eastern uh, Americans in the wake of uh, September 11th, and what we're seeing with regard to the the violence against young black men in the U.S. and and what Black Lives Matter advocates would call systemic racism in the police and other institutions. Um, I mean, I am not a forensic psychologist. So I wish there was a clinical term I could place on this. You know, when when it comes to conduct and you know criminal activity, that's usually their specialty. Um. So I wish I could answer that question for you, Tom. I really don't know. I mean, it also, you know, varies from individual, you know, person to person. Again, every person's circumstances is a complex one. So we have to consider all the different factors. Again, I think our tendency is to look for a simple answer to things. Um, and then that's even something I try to, you know, explore in my comedy because I myself fall into that trap sometimes of just wanting a singular answer to a singular question. And oftentimes the question actually merits a slew of answers rather than a simple, you know, explanation. So I wish I could, I wish I could clarify the world's problem in this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's why I wanted to get you here. I, I figured you'd solve all the world's problems in, uh, in a 45 minute interview. Um, <laughs> but all, all kidding aside, um, you know, is there, um, do you see a, a difference between what many consider systemic racism and the kind of fear-based random selection of groups that we've seen recently with Asian Americans and, and not very long ago with uh, Middle Easterners? Yeah, are they different in their expression? Of course. I mean, you know, there is these different degrees of violence. You know, the immediate infliction of harm on one another is definitely what we're seeing right now. But it doesn't mean that the two are different. I think it comes from the same place. It's that, you know, that the idea of ignorance. And, you know, ignorance doesn't mean that you're purposely ignoring. A lot of people are thinking there's this idea that we're purposely ignoring what's happening. That's not what we're saying. It's just it's that lack of awareness and not taking account of inside the people's experience that just led to this. And, you know, it could be personal, it could be communal, it could be systematic. You know, that's why I think people are not trying to be racist. I truly believe that. Um, you know, most people are kind, you know, genuine, curious people. And yet, you know, when we are 
ignorant to the things that's happening around us and we're not aware of, not mindful of it, um, we tend to forget that other people are around us. And that's, you know, you know that, that's transpired beyond this racism. You know, it's, it's everything that where this injustice occurs. So I think, you know, a lot of people ask me, so what can I do uh, to help the Asian communities or help people in general? I said, you know, first thing is to be mindful of what's going on around you. Be mindful of your reactions, mindful of the people in your life's reactions. That will actually help um, to start making those connections. Then we can actually you know, open the door and solve some problems. How can Asians uh, deal with this uh, emotionally when they see this going on? How can they come to terms with their own fears in the wake of these ads? Um, well, I can't speak for every Asian person on the planet because everyone's got their own ways of doing things. But for me, personally, um, you know, I just I continue to do what I need to do. And the one big thing I do is tell my story. Um, I think that's why I'm here speaking with you today. Um, you know, it's just trying to tell people, you know, what makes me me. And, you know, and these stories inherently, it's going to become the human story because we all go through these things. It's just different context. And I think this is what really will humanize us and really allow us to process what's going on. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be painful. But, you know, it's something that, you know, everyone's going to find a way to do it. Either you're a lawyer, accountant, musician, poet, athlete. There's a way for you to tell your story. It doesn't have to be, you know, that traditional story of telephones. When you when you do comedy, um, is is the comedy as therapeutic for you as it might be for an audience? Uh, I mean, I, I don't go in it with the intention of trying to resolve a conflict. <laughs> unless unless there's a heckler, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a whole different kind of one we're gonna get into. Um, yeah, but I know therapy is it therapeutic for people? I don't know. I mean it's tough for them to figure out. Um for me it's definitely a way to you know, I, I find it as a way to self reflect. Um you know, so I don't know if that's therapeutic. I mean, I, I don't, again, that's not my intention, so I can't really evaluate. But, you know, because my comedy tends to be more, be more inward. I kind of dig in as to what, what am I afraid of? What are my values? Um, what am I trying to say to people? How does this, you know, fit into my identity and my relationship with the world and the people around me? So I definitely see that as a way um, of growth because, I mean, terrifying sometimes trying to, think back on the things I did or the things I experienced and trying <laughs> to find meaning or create meaning. Sure. You know, I mean, some things you just want to forget, especially, you know, and every I, major holiday when you have dinner with your parents. <laughs> Ed, I have to take a, uh, a break here. Um, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Well, of course. Great. My guest is Ed Hill. He is a uh, mental health specialist, therapist, and also a comedian. And we're going to talk more about both of those things and continue talking about uh, uh, how maybe we can uh, 
figure out ways to treat each other a little better than what Asian Americans have been experiencing recently. If you're uh, listening to us on 92.1, we're going to let them squeeze in. Here. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, my guest this hour is a mental health specialist, therapist, and uh, comedian, uh, Ed Hill. We've been talking a little bit about uh, Asian American violence. We're going to talk uh, some more about that, but also uh, his work with young people. And um, Ed uh, joins me by phone. Ed, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no worries, Tom. Thanks for having me again. You know, I, I just got to say, you know, you start the day with a CEO, then you go to Attorney General, and you end with me. So <laughs> I uh, I do apologize for the downgrade. So I, I wish I had probably more credentials with me. Well, uh, maybe the, I'll do better next time. Maybe, the fact maybe I'll that, be the Postmaster General. The, the fact that you do comedy helps. <laughs> that 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 raises your stature on this program significantly, Ed. Um, and I and sure f- so. in fact, uh, we just really kind of brushed on the fact that you also do comedy, and you know, I was I was kind of hinting at you know, does the comedy um, add a lighter side of your life from from dealing with uh, mental health issues with people, especially young people, which I think could could be kind of depressing at times but um before we get into that i'm i'm curious how you ended up with you know one foot in each of those camps um i I, well i can tell you that the uh the mental health side is from family pressure and then the comedy side is from escape of family pressure so i don't know if that summarized (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that I think that wraps it up nicely. Um, Mom always wanted a, you know, wanted a doctor. Um, yeah, my uh, my family's uh, fellow doctors. My dad's a physician. My brother is a surgeon. Um, so you know, I I I made it very clear to the family I didn't want to be a doctor at a very young age. But at the same time, I did not want to disappoint everybody. So um, I guess the path in between was to, to pursue mental health and become a, you know, therapist. Um, and the comedy side is just a utter disappointment to everybody. So that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> and I imagine you poke a lot of fun of uh, your family in your act. Yeah, I mean, uh, my my uh, my material is definitely based on my family. My my comedy special is called Candy and Smiley. That's the name of my parents. So, you know, it's hard to separate um, the individual from the collective sometimes, and that's really the essence of my life is you know, family is who I am. You know, as much as I like to say I, I'm different, I'm unique, um, there's still pieces of my family that I carry till this very day. Ed, um, we were talking about the fact that, that some of these um, horrible things that we've been seeing in the news with attacks on on Asians and um, and and we talked a little bit about uh, uh, police violence and and you know some other related things and you were talking about how that all grows out of fear that people have that mm-hmm. that fear is a part of what leads people to commit these kinds of acts 
Um, that makes me think, because of the fact that you work a lot with young people, that I wanted to ask kind of a twofold thing. One is, um, at, 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 at what age can children be taught to um, be stronger than the fears they're likely to have in life? And how do we keep these activities from setting bad examples for young people? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, children and youth are impressionable, of course. You know, they are um, developing. So, you know, th there's no specific age as to when it's most um, prominent for youth to be influenced. I think, you know, throughout their entire lives in different stages of development, it, there, there's different, you know, levels of impact, um, depending, you know, at Infancy, it, it's more caregiver-based. Uh, you know, young adulthood, youth is more peer-based. Um, and for parent involvement, it would be more structural rather than, you know, relational at that point. So, but, you know, what I think what this speaks to, though, is the idea that the importance of that secure attachment that children have with their family. You know, because it's... You know, to combat fear is more than just a verbal, um, you know, a verbal type of soothing. You know, it's more than that. It's, it's providing youth and children with an environment where they can feel secure. They feel like individuals who can go out there and combat the world. That, you know, they, they know there's a place they can return to if things do get too out of control. So... You know, I think that's what we need to create for your young people, is that letting them know, yes, the world may be chaotic, the world may be changing, yet this attachment we have between us, you know, either as parents and children or siblings with each other or with their communities, teachers, um, other professionals, we're here. That you can always rely on this to deal with the uncertainties of the world. So it could be a pandemic, it could be a tragedy, it could be, you know, a personal loss. You can you can deal with it. You don't have to hurt other people to solve your problems. Um, and you know, and, I, and this also speaks to you know, with the media attention, you know, if you look at it historically, is usually a negative event. And one thing I do know, um, I don't know many things. One thing I do know is things are paid more attention to tend to happen more because we reinforce it. So with our young people, I think it's important part is. You know, reinforce the things that are effective for them. There's a lot of good in this world, and I think for them, they need to see that. They need to know that they can do good. They can be part of the good, and that's more likely to happen from them as they develop. Um, if we reinforce that, rather than showing them, you know, negative things all the time. We're not saying not to be aware of the negative things. You'd be aware of it, but I wouldn't focus on it and you know reinforce them. You know, I. My dad was was one of those guys, you know, he, he loved his kids, but his answer to everything was walk it off. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you scratched your knee or got in a fight at school or whatever, it was, well, just walk it off. Um, and I guess what I'm asking, of course, I'm kind of old, so that goes back a ways, Ed, but... Um, for contemporary parents, and we have all different kinds of families, what 
what are the things that that parents can do to ensure that their their kids feel not only secure at home but have the the self-confidence to face the challenges of the world with their with their heads held high yeah i mean you know like you say your your dad was you know the old school type of you know the hard, hard knock school hard knocks type of parenting and so is my dad you know it's kind of yeah know, you don't cry you, just you walk it off. off yeah yeah, my dad would tell me to walk it off, but just don't walk on his lawn because we're going to ruin his grass. He's going to walk, walk on the neighbor's yard. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, the attachment I have with my dad and was secure. This doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, when people hear secure attachment, they think I got to be this, you know, empathic. Um, well, it doesn't soft, have to be touchy feeling. Yeah, it does not have to be that. You know, that's not what secure attachment means. So it has to be just being the bigger, wiser, and stronger figure in the house. That naturally will build secure attachment. You know, youth and children require direction. Um, they require guidance. And sometimes they also need some autonomy to make their decisions. So, you know, if they require the guidance, you've got to be the bigger parent. If they require guidance to make their, you know, make, deserve the autonomy to make decisions, you've got to be the wiser parent to guide them through that. Um, so... That's really what secure attachment is. It's not, um, you know, comforting every little thing, you know, not letting them experience the, you know, the reality of losing or um, having, making mistakes or feeling disappointed. That's just life. They, they still have to live life. And at the same time is as the, you know, figure who needs to be bigger and wiser and stronger, you have to be there to guide them. Um, and that's what secure attachment is. You, you know, it's not, we're, I'm not asking to be servants to your children. That's definitely not what it is. And that's definitely not what my parents did. Um, not even for one second. I would, I would love to be served. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, which, which came first for you? Um, working in, the in chicken, mental? the chicken, Tom, <laughs> not the egg, it's the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> now, if we could just figure out why it crossed the road, we'll we'll be in good shape. Um, no, seriously, were you working toward or in mental health before you started doing comedy? And and how did you start doing comedy? Did you, the way a lot of comedians do, just just hitting open mic nights and trying it out, trial and error. Um, I started a little differently. I was in grad school, um, finishing my degree, um, you know, in counseling psychology. And, uh, I just, I, I just need I just remember I needed an outlet. I used to be a musician when I was younger. What'd you um, play? Not in pan out. I played the piano. Um, and I was also a keyboardist and uh, vocalist in like a heavy metal band. Um, oh, cool. mainly because there's a uh, reaction to, you know, people thinking classical pianists are, you know, wusses. I was like, well, I'm going to join a rock band and see what you think about that. Um, <laughs> and it didn't turn out. So let's just, let's just be honest. It didn't work out. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was awful. Um, I was in denial for years in my life. I mean, I remember my dad came to one of the shows. He's just like, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> it's not good I, I wish I can tell you not exactly the reaction that's not exactly yeah, the reaction you're looking for our first show you know I asked him why he didn't any pictures this is our first show he's like nobody wants to remember this just just let it go um, 
so yeah, I, I so I, I started comedy when I was in grad school. I, I saw a little class being offered um, near the school I was attending, the university I was attending. So I took a class, and uh, so the two kind of go in parallel. As I'm stepping into my final phase of training, I started you know my comedy class, and then of course like everybody else, you go to open mics, you do the shows, and so on and so forth. So um, it's kind of an interesting path. You know, kind of the two complements each other, and those will pair off each other. Um, you mentioned a uh, a special. Um, when did or does that that special come out, and and where can people see your your comedy? Yeah, the special has already uh, been released. It's on Amazon Prime Video and Apple TV. Um, it's available right now. Um, it's been available since beginning of March. It's called Candy and Smiley. Um, it's a very uh, unusual format, so if you turn it on, you immediately realize, wow, this is not like a traditional stand-up show. Um, it's it's taken space in a, a circle, so there is no large audience. There's only about eight of us, um, and they're all my close family and friends, and it's me telling the stories that they know already. <laughs> so um, it was extra daunting, but, you know, it's it's sort of a, the story is supposed to be a reflection of the times, a reflection of who I am because of the COVID. We didn't have a large theater. The taping got shut down two weeks prior. And, you know, really that intimate setting really is who I truly am. You know, I, I tend to appreciate smaller crowds. Um, no, I don't like larger crowds. I, I, you know, I love performing for a lot of people. Um, but there's a different sense of appreciation for smaller crowds. That sounds brutal, Ed. How do, how do you manage to make <laughs> close friends and family laugh? Um, well, I mean, you know, that's, that was daunting, but I pulled it off. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the film crew and the production crew was quite impressed with what I was able to do um, in a setting like that because, you know, these people all know me and they all know certain parts of the story and, you know, I think it's that it's that intricacy that really made it humorous because we all know what's going on, but we all don't want to say what's going on, and I'm saying it. And how has um, the the pandemic impacted uh, not not just your comedy as you were talking about there, but but um, but your therapy practice as well? Um. What do you mean by that, Tom? Well, are you are you doing like <laughs> are are you seeing clients by Zoom? Are you doing group therapy by Zoom? Are you able to, you know, continue to practice, or or, or have you had to go a little bit on hiatus? Oh, okay. I, I thought you you meant like am I bringing clients to the the comedy show to do it all the time? Now, that would be an unusual way of doing things. Um, what does that do to pandemic? Um, yeah, I, I think the, you know, I think both comedy and mental health have, have to shift a little bit because it's both, you know, face-to-face type of situation. There's definitely a lot of virtual sessions, a lot of virtual shows um, on both sides. And, you know, we, we do do some group um, therapy virtually. I mean, it's tough. It's, it's not the same, for sure. You, you lose a lot of... A lot of, a lot of human connection is nonverbal. You know, I'm just being there. Um, some people call it energy. Some people call it, you know, color whatever you want. But it's it's part of the essence of who we are. You know, we we thrive um, when we're with each other. 
it was tough. You know, we're trying to do the best that we can, and that's just uh, part of the game. When you're working with uh, clients, is it, do you have things that, um, that they can do, um, I guess I'm asking kind of a magic uh, or silver bullet question. Um, are there certain kinds of things that you can say that make people feel better, or is it something they have to do? Um, yeah, money and power, is that what you're hoping to hear? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, um, a lot of people say that would be the solution and that's not you know, I, I, I do have clients who are very powerful and wealthy and still not happy so I think what that speaks to is you know a lot of the work let me put in an analogy I think it's the best way to put it is a lot of people will come to you know services and hoping for an answer and hoping for a solution or a a ticket to paradise um, and usually what I tell them is, imagine the world is a jungle, and there are fruits in the jungle that are absolutely delicious, there are dangers in the jungle that could harm you, there could be predators, and there could be allies in here that you can make friends of, there's resources here, we can build the things you have to, but it's, it's going to be a struggle, and I am part of this jungle with you, and all I can do is give you a stick. Like the mother of fighting and the building and the overcoming is up to you. And it's how you use that stick. And that stick can be a sword. That stick can be a baton when you pass to someone else. Or that stick could be a piece of trash you a gun. Which is yours. And, and you I think that's, that's usually how I approach it. You know, I was, I was kind of uh, kidding with you a little bit at, at the beginning when I was talking about comedy versus therapy versus being a bartender, um, but yet <laughs> there are a lot of people who will share their, their problems and, and some of their issues with a bartender um, or, uh, or even a, a close friend. For people that, you know, maybe think there's a stigma around seeking professional help with emotional issues um should they at least confide in a friend um i mean it depends on the friends want to listen to you you gotta remember that's the difference between a professional and a friend and a bartender is you know a bartender's got a bar to tend so there's too many drinks to serve you don't have time for your, for your bs um and if your friend's overwhelmed and they got their own thing they got to deal with, they also don't have time and need resources for you. And a professional is, that's her job. Her job is to provide you with the space and the ability to, you know, help you work through the things you need to work through. So, you know, if people have a friend or a bartender or, you know, usually a hairdresser that's willing um, to listen and carry um, that burden, by all means, you know, but, you know, that's, that's that's a choice people have to make where cause you don't know what's going on in people's lives. And, you know, one thing that you, know, you probably don't want to do is impose your truth on someone else's truth because, you know, it's just not fair to everybody. 
So I definitely, I mean, that's why the recommendation is to seek a profession where possible because that's what we do and that's we, you know, we have, we, we want the best for our clients. That's, that's why we got into the profession. We didn't definitely didn't, didn't get into this for the money or the prestige. We got into this because we want to help people. Um, and we were equipped with the education and the training to do so. Um, yet, at the same time, like, like I said before, if you have a friend, a hairdresser, or a bartender, or a Tom in your life you can speak to, by all means, um, as long as you're willing to listen. Well, Ed, it's, it's about time to wrap up. I um, always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, more about you and your work, both in mental health and uh, in comedy, uh, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website, Ed? I do have a website. It's uh, my first and last name and uh, with the word King in front of it. It's so com. Our earlier stage of my career, I um, I thought it'd be hilarious to name my address after the street in Vancouver, King Edward. And then I soon realized that most people in this world don't live in Vancouver, so now I just look like <laughs> a pompous jerk. Um, so kingedhill.com, and King Ed Hill is on my login for all my social media. Well, Ed, thanks so much for uh, spending a little time with me this morning. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. All right, take care. Take care. That was Ed Hill, a mental health specialist and therapist. Uh, we talked about Asian American violence. We also talked about the fact that he did comedy, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Well, this coming weekend, uh, everyone here in the colonies will be looking back across the pond to merry old England as yet another fascinating royal wedding is about to take place. I set out to uh, find somebody that was authoritative, but behind the scenes that could, uh, you know, speak to the issue and talk a little bit about it. So I called the royal palace and I got lucky. I, I got a chance to talk to the queen herself. Hello. And, uh, good. Uh, hi, your royal highness. How are you? Well, you lucky day, Mr. Sumner, because my receptionist is off and I answered my own phone, which is unusual. I don't often talk to commoners, but good day to you. It's my pleasure while I have a moment or two. I have to take Camilla out for her daily run in just a moment, So, but I'm happy to talk to you. <laughs> How did you find out about the uh, the upcoming nuptials? Um, you know, William asked Kat, Kate, I almost said Kat, Kate, um, uh, Catherine, if you will, um, I think they were in some sort of trip over in Africa. <clears throat> and he, this is true. And he took a diamond with her there, and he, he actually sent someone by horse. And uh, it took all of three weeks, but they finally made it back. And then, of course, by carrier pigeon, because we do things quite traditionally here, you know, not on Facebook and so on and so forth. So I found about out about three weeks later by courier. Are you excited about the wedding? I'm terribly excited. You know, I'm getting uh, up in years, as you know, and I'm, I want to start having a little more fun. So I'm going to boogie the night away. I can't wait. Uh, Elton John's going to be there. There's rumors Kanye West might stop by, and I love his rap. And so I'm thinking of really having a good time. You know, we're kind of known as a stuffy group, but I think this time I'm going to let loose. What do you think? Well, I, I, I'm all for letting loose. Um, will you... Will you dance in the wedding? I will. I plan on dancing. I love the hustle. Um, I hurt my back last night practicing the Macarena with Philip, but I'm <laughs> on some Advil, and I think I'm okay now. I'm pretty loose. And uh, so we'll do a few little line dances like that and so on and so forth, and the bunny hop. You ever do the bunny hop where you hop around the room? That's always fun. <laughs> I, I haven't, but but I, I shall take it up now. Wonderful. Wonderful. You sound like such a nice young man. Is this becoming royal weddings? Is this becoming somewhat old hat? You've you've been through a couple with uh, uh, with um, uh, Prince Charles. Yeah, we we don't have exactly a good track record in the family, 
And uh, speaking of old hats, I'm actually pulling out one of my older hats that I haven't worn in over 50 years for the occasion. I've wanted to keep it just right for the occasion. It's uh, over six feet wide, and I, it's pink, and it's beautiful, and I can't wait to wear it. But no, you know, it's always good to have a joyous occasion, and, uh, you know, it's fun to drop, you know, several million in coin just to have a big party. And, um, yes, it, it, it never gets old hat. As long, you know, we only live once, and you might as well enjoy the good times, don't you think? Uh, absolutely. Where will the royal couple be honeymooning? Well, there's several rumors going around. They haven't even told old grandma yet. And, um, you know, there's been talk that they might go to the Mideast. I read this in the paper the other day. It would be true. They might go to Jordan, or they might go to an island in Mystique. That's where a lot of celebrities go. I, for one, you know, because they're a little more down-to-earth than the usual royal couple, I've suggested they go to, like, a like a water park or something, like a Four Bears, and, you know, thing, and or a Six Flags, whatever it's called, because that would be fun, and it's youthful, rather than the old travel-around-the-world type thing. I, I think they could have fun at Splash Mountain or something like that. Do you enjoy those kinds of things, theme parks and that sort of thing? I actually went to my first water park last year, last summer. I had a great time. I <laughs> flew, I'll never, my tiara flew off right at the end and poked Philip in the eye, but it was so <laughs> fun. It was a great deal of fun, and uh, I went on a log ride and, and so on and so forth. And we're thinking of coming back to Canada this year and go to Niagara Falls. I, I'm half tempted to go over in a barrel. I, I've always wanted to try that. You mentioned a little bit ago that, that you do things quite traditionally yes. uh, when you have these kinds of functions. Um, but when you're not in the yes. public eye, is there an informality in the palace uh, between you and the grandchildren and that sort of thing? What kinds of things do you call each other? Well, you know, there is a little bit of informality, um, but, you know, we're not... We're not the most emotional type. As a matter of fact, my grandchildren are only allowed within five feet of me. So, but we're warming up a bit. Um, I've been known occasionally, if I've gotten a little bit into the liquor cabinet, I will occasionally, with a few of the guards at Buckingham Palace, play a, a rousing game of Twister. But, um, you know, they call me QE2 around the old uh, homestead and, you know... Uh, not not too informal. We we try to keep the traditions alive, but we're warming up a bit. But uh, we're like any other, you know, filthy rich, non-tax-paying royal family. Are you fond of uh, of Kate? Oh, she's a delight, isn't she? Adorable, such a pretty girl for a commoner, and her family's chipping in five hundred mil for the wedding, and I'm pleased about that. But she's a sweet girl, and I'm glad that uh, her and William have taken some time to get to know each other. And, you know, eight years around, and they, you know they've they've known each other for eight years, and you get to develop a relationship like that, and and then uh, you know, so you know they got it out of their system. I don't think they have to sleep around anymore. Us things, us royals, keep save that for after we get married. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't believe I said that out loud. <laughs> well, I, you can say anything you want on this uh, show. Thank you, Mr. Sumner. Sumner, that sounds English. What is that? What's your background? That sounds English. Uh, it is English. Very good. I, I think I'm... Is your grandfather Sir William Sumner by any chance? It's entire. Well, it wouldn't be my grandfather. Yes, because I had him beheaded about ten years ago. <laughs> but that's a whole other long story. Well, the Sumners have been through some trials. <laughs> yes, they have. Well, we didn't have a trial. We just cut his head off. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It must be good to be the queen. It's good to be the queen. And I know, 
I know, my dear child, my son is waiting for me to fall off the throne. I've been on the throne so long, my legs are falling asleep. But that happens to everybody. <laughs> Your Highness, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us, and good luck with the, uh, with the event and thank with you, everything that's going on. Well, thank you. And if anybody out there who got an invitation that has trouble finding Buckingham Palace for the reception, the wedding reception, we're going to be attaching two balloons to the mailbox out front so you won't be able to miss it. Well, that, that'll help if, it'll if, help. Yes, if, if, if Google won't uh, give us the proper directions. You got it. Yo, Google Maps, I love it. <laughs> Helps me when I go on my fox hunts. Will you take care of Thomas Sumner? And if you're ever over across the pond in the old country, coming from your little colonies, knock on the door and ask for me. I'll let you in instantaneously. I would love to do that, Your Highness, and God save the Queen. God save the Queen, and God, I hope I save some money on this party. <laughs> it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program closing things up there with uh, a little hat tip to uh, Kate and William's wedding from 10 years ago with uh, Al Muscovito playing uh, Queen Elizabeth II uh, in honor of uh, Kate and William's 10th anniversary hard to believe that uh, it's been that long ago but uh, it has and a lot of guests to thank uh, from the show today ed hill of course uh during this last hour mental health specialist uh talking about uh, oh just some of what has been going on with uh asian american related hate crimes uh also talking with paul summers the uh former tennessee attorney general who is uh, uh co-chair of the keep nine coalition trying to uh, establish a um an amendment to the Constitution, keeping the Supreme Court at nine people. Also, want to say thanks to Ed Michael Reggie from uh, Funeralocity for uh, sharing some updates on our earlier conversation this week about uh, the FEMA grant for COVID-related um, funerals. And also want to say thanks to Jim Milanowski from the Genesee Health Plan talking about what's going on between them and the Genesee County Board of Commissioners this last week in the news. Anyway, that wraps it up for today. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.